We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. An angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah. When he saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Well, good evening. Let me add my welcome. My name's uh, Matt Full. I'm the vicar uh, here at Christ Church. So it's uh, lovely to be able to welcome you here tonight. And uh, just for a few minutes, I want to talk about uh, memorable Christmas presents. So uh, if you just take a couple of seconds. How many presents can you remember receiving? Not number, but how, what stuff can actually stands out? Oh, yeah, I remember when I was at Christmas, I was a kid, the thing I got really excited about was My Little Pony or whatever it was, I don't know, whatever it is. Um, how many can you look back and think, yeah, I remember getting that. I sort of, because I thought about this and thought, um, well, not a lot, actually. Uh, so I can remember, probably the one I remember most is, I think probably eight, nine, I don't know, I lose track of it, but um, asking for and receiving the massive big lump of plastic that was the Millennium Falcon. So Star Wars obsessed at the time and just getting this massive plastic, I mean, it didn't do very much. You put batteries in about this size and you pushed a button and the light came on at the front as if it was firing a gun. It didn't do very much, but that to me was just amazing. It was amazing. It was all I'd wanted, and I got it, and I was over the moon and delighted and thrilled. And obviously, I sold it about three years later for a Wham CD or something else um, <laughs> equally unimpressive. However, when my, my son was probably a similar sort of age and started watching some of the Star Wars films, 
I can relive, you know, who cares what he wants. Uh, I can uh, relive my childhood. So I bought him on eBay the self-same, not mine, uh, but the self-same massive plastic Millennium Falcon. And he opened it and said, oh, right. I said, oh, Nathan, when I was your age, that was, that was just the best present I ever got as a child. And he said, how did? And looked up and said, oh, poor you. <laughs> and... Um, there we go, dreams die and uh, times change. But I don't know, how many can you remember, genuinely, that, that you got uh, as a kid? Pro probably not that many. The reason this came to you, there was an article in the paper last week, uh, a number of journalists writing about uh, what they remember, their most memorable present uh, when they were a child. Uh, the one that stood out for me was, uh, the number were quite sweet, but Jenny Barney. Uh, Jenny Barney, journalist, saying um, she remembers she went through a phase of, sort of really going for it and feeling the present. So she, she remembers vividly the Christmas uh, age. She was age 11. And, uh, you know, the week or so before Christmas, all the presents there under the tree. And uh, she'd go and have a, spend a good deal of time. And this was, this was allowed, permitted in her household, feeling everything. Everything, not just her own presence, but those for her, for, for her mum, for her dad, for her, her two siblings, just feeling everything, having a guess, what could it be? And, um, but then, you know, her parents saying to her, look, kids, her and her siblings, uh, you just got to realise, you know, dad lost his job this year. You know, things are a little bit tougher, perhaps not quite the same number or, or quality of presence this year. Just manage your thoughts a, a, a little bit, so they'd got beyond Santa brings them, they knew it was mum and dad. And so she says, well, I remember getting to Christmas Day and, you know, a few presents for me and, and opening them and... And obviously, in the sort of maturity of you have at that age, hiding her feelings wonderfully. Um, and, um, and then getting to the end and thinking, oh, that, that's it then. Well, mum and dad weren't lying, were they? It's a slightly disappointing year. Uh, and then her mum saying, well, there's, there's one more, one more for you. Oh. And uh, uh, mum held it, uh, passed it over to, um, to Jenny Barney. And she said, well, but mum, I've been feeling all the presents for a week. This one had your name label on it. This is your present. But now it's got a new label on it saying for me, no, 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 Jenny, it's, it's fine. It's for you. And she opened it and it was a hairdryer. And she said, look, I, I look back and think, it was a hairdryer. But for me, that was the best present or the most memorable thing I ever got. She put it well, better than I will. She's a journalist. She said, um, in my world, where receiving gifts outweighed giving them by light years, my mum's act of self selflessness was incomprehensible. Tears filled my eyes as I realized my mum's love for me, as she gave up the only gift she had, so her selfish daughter could have just one more. Sweet, isn't it? And I guess we know that about presents, really. It's not so much the stuff, it's the memories that get attached to them. That's what we remember. John Kiley read for us just this little story of uh, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth and uh, uh, the memorable present they got that first Christmas 2,000 years ago, which was a, a child. So um, I don't know if you can still see it on, on the screen or maybe on the sheet in front of you, but um, we met them and uh, they're a couple, an elderly couple in their 70s. 
And um, we're told about them. They're good, they're righteous, they're noble people, but they can't have kids. Never been able to have them. I said it was some reluctance. It's what's there and what we're told. But I'm conscious that even today, it's always a painful subject. If that's you, that's a painful subject. In our family, that was something we faced for years before having children. It hurts. But dare I say, in this culture, even worse in the first century, not just sad or disappointing or tragic, but a curse, you know, shame if you couldn't have culture in the first century. Where's your future income going to come? No state. It's your kids who provide for you. So it's a much bigger deal for them in the first century. So for a child, well, Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth, they would have waited and begged and longed for years as all their peers had kids, and then all their peers become grandparents, and they're just left out. As we have read in, in, in the passage, finally, in, in chapter one, when they're in their 70s, an angel appears to Zechariah and tells him, look, a son will be born to you. We want to give him the name John. It's going to be uh, John the Baptist. Uh, but the bulk of the reading um, is actually on the day of John's circumcision. Now, that may not be exciting to you, but in this sort of Jewish culture, that's a big day. That's a big day. A bit like, I don't know, a bit like a child's first birthday in the UK, when everyone comes and the kid is completely oblivious and gets ridiculous amounts of presents. And, but everyone gets quite excited on the first birthday. You know, if one grandparent is invited, not the other, woe be upon you, you'll never, that's it, for decades, you'll live with the fallout from that. So it's quite a big day and all the relatives are gathered together, but Zechariah does quite a bold thing. He sings. He sings a song. Now that's quite a bold thing to do. But beyond just singing a song, the reason this would have been slightly awkward at their family gathering is that uh, you probably didn't notice it when it was read, but there are 12 lines or verses to this song, and only two of them are about John the Baptist, the kid he's holding. He's going to sing a song, and only two of the 12 verses and 10 verses are about someone else, Jesus, John the Baptist's cousin. Now, can you imagine that is a bit awkward? We don't have anything quite like it in the UK, but can you imagine going to a wedding? The father of the bride stands up and says, well, I'm going to make a speech about my daughter. And it's a 12-minute speech, and two minutes are about the bride, his daughter, and the other 10 minutes are about how fantastic one of the bridesmaids is. It's a bit awkward. <laughs> I mean, that's really awkward. Um, what do you... Well, here's John, and he's saying, oh, I've waited so long for a child. I've finally got a son, and now let me sing a song about him. And basically, his song is, John, I'm so thrilled you're here, but you're just the warm-up act for the one I'm really excited about. You just appear on the stage of history to get the crowd a bit excited before the main performer comes on, and I want to sing about him. No, I love you, you're my son, and you, it's great that you get to be the warm-up act, but that is all you are. And so actually, most of John's song is, it's not, a, excuse me, Zechariah's song, it's not about John at all. It's about Jesus. So in the first century, there's Zechariah singing, and he says, this Christmas time, probably wouldn't have called it Christmas, of course, but this time of the year, this Christmas, 
the best thing is not that I've waited 50 years for a kid and finally I'm a dad. The best thing is, well, you're going to introduce Jesus. God, come down to earth. And that's the most memorable thing that'll ever happen. It's the best present you could ever have at Christmas. And let me briefly say just two things, just two things uh, why that's the best present uh, or the most memorable gift ever. Uh, it's been promised for ages and is what you really need, okay? And those are good things about a present, okay? It's been promised to you for ages and is what you really need. Very briefly, uh, it's been promised for ages. They were told here, uh, you can't, probably can't read it uh, quite, but um, this uh, verse 70, God had promised this baby, this Jesus, would come by his holy prophets long long ago. Now, none of us are very good at delayed gratification. You get a little bit better as an adult, but you're terrible as a kid. Last year, uh, one of my friends said to me his uh, eight-year-old daughter had uh, broken up from school and obviously had done Christmassy things, nativity, etc. at school, and Christmas tree was up and presents under the tree. She's very excited about everything. You're eight years old. And she, one day she said, Daddy, look at me. You, you have to let me open a present or I'm just going to burst. He said, well, that would be bad, but um, let's just wait and see if you can all hold it in. No, no, Daddy, you don't understand. You have to let, give me one present and let me open one present. I'm just going to explode all over the kitchen. And Mummy hates it when things are all over the kitchen. And he said, well, yeah, you're right, but let's just see, shall we? Let's just try and hold it in and, and wait just one more week. You count down the days. No, no, Daddy, it, it, it's, it's worse than that. I think... I think if I don't open a present now, I I'm never going to be able to give hugs and kisses again. <laughs> now, that's pretty manipulative, AJ, isn't it? To which her dad said, well, that really would be very, very sad. But I reckon on Christmas Day, you might be excited enough that those hugs and kisses, they might just come back. So uh, let's wait. Brackets. Darling, this one's trouble. Um... <laughs> But none of us are very good at waiting. But we're told here that God has come to his people, as predicted by the prophets of long ago. Well, look, just maybe fill in a bit of detail. They really are long ago. There's not been a prophet in Israel for 450 years. That's a long time to wait. But the last prophet they'd been in Israel was a chap called Malachi. And he had said, look, yeah, God himself will come down, but just before he does, one will come, will be his warm-up act, John the Baptist. But I've been 450 years earlier. I mean, that's quite a long time to wait. Quickly do the maths in your own head. If we go back 450 years, we're sort of 1569. And who's on the throne? Go on, come on. Well done, Elizabeth's on the throne. Thank goodness for that. Um, he also says Abraham, which is 2,000 years ago. Who was on the throne of England 2,000 years ago? No, I'll give you all the money in my wallet if you do that. There's a man called Cuneiform. Uh, but don't worry about that. Uh, he had his uh, capital in Colchester. But 450 years ago, Elizabeth's on the throne. And promises are made about what will be happening today. That is extraordinary. It's the same equivalent. Can you imagine if perhaps in one of um, 
Shakespeare's plays. He'd have been quite young in uh, 1569, to be fair. But anyway, he was a very bright lad. Uh, in one of Shakespeare's plays, there's a character uh, and who, who gives a speech and says, I look to the future centuries hence. You know, sort of. I look to the future um, centuries hence. Uh, what? Uh, centuries hence. Anyway, whatever. Uh, and says, and there will come one, and he shall be known as Alexander. And he should be known as Boris. <laughs> and he should be known as de Pfeffel. Um, and you think, oh, that's, that's extraordinary. And he should be known as brilliant and bumbling and charming and not truthful. Uh, and of the number of his children, no one should know. <laughs> Even he. It'll be extraordinary. And he goes on, and he'll be born in America and rise to become ruler of London and ruler of the kingdom. And then the kingdom will shrink a little bit as bits break away. And you think, that's extraordinary. Whatever. Um, uh, maybe, maybe not, who knows. Uh, but um, it's an extraordinary level of detail. I mean, all of a sudden, people would be obsessed with this Shakespearean play of 450 years ago. And you realize, oh, there's other stuff in there. A man called um, GSK, whatever that means, shall invent a cure to stop the wasting disease. What? what? GSK, what? The, 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 the drugs company? GlaxoSmithKline? The wasting disease? Is that cancer? Well, I better buy some of those shares. I mean, all this has come true about Boris Alex de Pfeffer. Um, you know, I've, I've, got to, I've got to do the rest. I mean, I'd be mad not to invest in, in GSK if this has come true and this prediction's also made. You'd be mad not to do that. At least a little something. Well, here you've got predictions that God himself will come down. And the level of detail we have predicted by the prophets about the life of Jesus is extraordinary. Where he'd be born, what he'd be like, type of death that he'd die, who he'd die with. I mean, just extraordinary level of detail. And when the Bible, 450 years before Jesus even comes, gives you exceptional detail, I mean, you'd be mad not to take it seriously, at least a little seriously. If you never realize, the Bible is just one whole book. It's one story in different parts. And some bits are really obvious, how they fit together. Some bits less so, a bit like Star Wars. You can't, you know... Um, no, it's not like that. Um, but um, it's one story. How extraordinary that Jesus' coming's predicted all those centuries earlier. Long awaited. Promised for ages, this one who's going to come that Zechariah sings about. He's promised for ages. And, and secondly, lastly, briefly, uh, he's what you really need. He's what you really need. Now, many of us have asked, certainly when we were children, probably even when we were adults, asked for presents that we don't really need. Um, either we think we want them, and then we realize we don't, or we've got nothing that we really need, whatever it may be. But uh, a couple of years ago, my son, as a teenager, he said, oh, I, I, the thing I want most is this skateboard magazine, a subscription. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I really want. Oh, okay. Uh, you can only get it in the States. We've got to import it. Um, are you sure it's not just your latest fad? No, 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 this is, this is it. This is my life's thing. This is what I'm going to do for the next 10 years. And obviously, he read it for about three or four months, and then, you know, it came, and he didn't even open it. Because he thought that was what he really wanted, but, you know. The same Christmas, his parents bought, said teenage son, 
a punch bag. Now, that gets used quite a lot, thankfully. Good place to exercise your um, uh, physical nature as a teenager. That's good. And sometimes, you know, when you're a kid, your parents know better than you what you need. Well, here, God knows what we need, even if you don't quite recognize it. He knows far, far better. Uh, the first century here that we're writing to Israel, they thought they needed a military leader. That's what they wanted, really, to, um, to fight against the Romans. The Romans had taken over their country. What they really needed was to have their sins forgiven. It's why in our little passage, Zechariah tells his boy, John, look, what you're going to do, John, is you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. That's what they really needed. Actually, it's what you really need. You may not recognize it. You might think you want something else for Christmas. But actually, more than anything else, it is what you need, the forgiveness of sin. Earlier in the year, a slightly surprising bestseller in the bestsellers list was a book by Seth Davidovitz, uh, was the chap's name. It's just called Everybody Lies. What the internet can tell you about who we really are. And uh, the guts of it was showing, he'd done extensive research, or it's all there, all the data's there, showing that there is a, a massive gulf between what people presented themselves on Instagram or Facebook and what they Google. It's just a massive gulf. You know, so for example, you know, here's my Facebook page, and you know, I'm happily married, and, but actually over here the guy is Googling how to have an affair and get away with it. It's just a gulf. Or someone's showing up, look, here I am on holiday, I'm just the happiest girl in the world, she posts. Uh, meanwhile, she's Googling how to cope with depression. I wonder how to take my life. And so you, you can look over here at Facebook and, and what people put up in Instagram. Everybody lies. Over here, what are they searching for? What are they Googling? That tells you what they're, where they're at. He says, the striking thing is you get all this research and you get data on individuals, they agree to it. This was a case where people actually agreed uh, to their data being used. And, he said, and then you interview them afterwards. He said, the really striking thing about it was that people would lie, even in anonymous surveys, about what they'd been searching for, just to make themselves feel better about themselves. Everybody lies. We all lie even to ourselves about what we, what we like. And actually, we all need forgiveness. We may not recognize it, but we all lie to ourselves. We all need forgiveness. We need forgiveness for the way we treat other people. Now, we know that. I mean, the only person who doesn't think that they've ever done things wrong and they never need to ask forgiveness. If someone thinks I never need to ask for forgiveness, they're probably a pretty unpleasant character. We know it. We need forgiveness. But to, to be forgiven by a mate that you've let down or wronged, it's great. It's great. There's awkwardness, you reconcile, it's great. To be forgiven by a spouse when you've been disloyal, you've had an affair, well, that's a more serious break. To be forgiven there, oh, it's wonderful and to fully embrace it. But to be forgiven by God, who we've pushed aside, rejected, ignored, 
Oh, that, that really is very wonderful. And this God in Jesus Christ came down that first Christmas to forgive. There's always a cost of forgiveness, though. Uh, probably the, the other Christmas, well, probably the Christmas I remember most in our family, it's not for the present I received, but it's just what's known in our family as the sweaty Christmas. Um, the reason being, because on Christmas Day, one of the things I must have got, I guess, or I, I was mecking around with the football and uh, kicked a football inside and uh, uh, smashed the thermostat, um, which controlled the temperature in the house. And so it just, the temperatures went woof, straight up, 40 degrees, and that was it. And you either had it on or off. It was quite cold outside, you couldn't turn it off. So we had this little game of on, off, on, off, uh, until we all slightly gave up and um, raided our summer wardrobe. So there's these funny photos of me in these sort of, in me and my, I was young, in Speedos, I was young, don't think about it. Uh, my sister in a bikini, um, and it's just a sort of weird on Christmas Day. There we are with the Christmas tree, all in bikinis, and it's just weird, the sweaty Christmas. Um, now, it was sort of funny, but um, you don't call out an emergency plumber on Christmas Day. And that's sort of super expensive. Um, it was a couple of days later that even then it was quite expensive. And I kept saying to my dad, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry. He said, okay, I forgive you, but it is quite expensive. I forgive you, but don't make that mistake again because it costs me money. Yeah, you forgave me, but there's always a cost to forgiveness. There's always a cost. When Jesus comes down and says, yeah, I'm going to forgive your sin or you've done wrong, the cost he pays is he dies upon a cross. He takes death. And why is it so good because if you trust in him, you can go to heaven. That's why it's the best present. Nothing else secures eternity. Nothing is as good as that. So look, whether you recognize it or not, this is a gift that's been promised for centuries before it arrived. And this is a gift that you really need, the forgiveness of sins, because it secures heaven. There's nothing, nothing that memorable. You could be still singing about that in thousands of years to come. That's a very memorable gift. Let me say a brief prayer. Great God of Father, we praise you because you're generous, because you give us the gift that we really need, the forgiveness of sins. And so, Father, whether we're utterly persuaded of that and just like to be reminded, whether we're skeptical or uncertain of that, we'd be mad not to think once again, if all this is predicted centuries in advance, just to ignore it. So, Father, help us grapple with this greatest of gifts, we pray. Amen.